could you go to the book of Acts together with me? The book of Acts is a, a wonderful book. You can start in chapter 6 with me. And let me just see exactly where. Beginning of chapter 6. Okay. So Acts chapter 6 from verse 1. This is basically when the early church, uh, the work began of people. Uh, uh, what happens in the church is uh, people create work. Did you know that? <laughs> people argue and fight over food and then you have to sort it out. Do you know that? That's the job description. Please don't fight over food, guys. Can you imagine if you were, all the, the, if you were the first people saved, the Greeks... And you were the Hebrews, and you've come to know Jesus and salvation for the very first time. Church is just birthed. And a bunch of you are widows, and then there's food being distributed, and the Greek widows are fighting with the Hebrew widows over the food. That's when I want to go out the door to someone else, please. Do. So that's what happened. They, they realized they needed to get some help within the church to sort out this issue. And so they raised up some people called deacons. Where are deacons in the house? Some of them were having, some of them were having a well-deserved holiday this weekend. We've got a wonderful team of deacons. We are grateful to God for our between. I think we have eleven deacons serving in this church, and I think so many with the potential still to serve. And so the early deacons came in. One of them's name was Philip. Interestingly, most of them were Greeks. Of the first seven deacons, interesting that the problem was to help some Greek believers with the uh, distribution of food for those widows. And um, Philip was one of them. And I want to pick up on just speaking about Philip this morning. And so if you look, so chapter 6 will tell you their names. And if you have a look from verse 5, you'll see that Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit, a man of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, there's his name, Procurus. Uh, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch. Okay, these are the first seven. Nicholas. <laughs> and then um, they presented these men, the first deacons, to the apostles. And then something significant happened, which I just want to focus on. The apostles prayed over them and laid, laid hands on those men as they were put into the office of deaconing in the life of the church, the very first deacons. And straight after that, chapter, uh, verse 7 says, And so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Interesting. The, the, the gospel, it blew out of that place. And interestingly, when there was a need on the ground, by raising up faithful men, and later women to, to be deacons and deaconesses in the house, as soon as... They raised up people to help with the need on the ground. The gospel spread. The word got out. The elders who were leading were able to focus on the, on the word and teaching right doctrine. And so could also focus on prayer, which is the role that the Lord needs me and the likes of Mark and Marius to play more and more. Especially as we go into new ground, there's going to be more and more need on the ground, and more and more things that we need to uh, take care of, such as people arguing over the food distribution. Hopefully, it's not that for us, but there'll be many things for us to do, and over the next three Sundays, 
of July. I'm still to talk with Mark and Morris because we've had a break uh, over the last couple of weeks. It's been really good and refreshing. But we're wanting to do a number of things and activate all of us in uh, making a new home very homely. So where we go to base our Sunday mornings, um, we have the ability to make it so homely. And uh, there's quite a lot that we want to do on the ground, some work parties over the next four or five weeks as we move there. We're already hosting an event in August with a five-fold evangelist recognized across the world. And uh, we're able to host him in Seapoint, which is a huge bonus because we can see the word go out and signs and wonders go out and we get to invite the whole of the city into that place, as many as we can. And we want to invite unbelievers into that place because uh, if you're going to share the gospel, you do want people who don't yet know Jesus to hear it. It's good for us. We, the word says we need to be reminded of the good news and of the gospel for our own hearts to be encouraged, to keep us aligned. But we want the lost in that building. So our heart is that we go into the building, we sit on the floor if we need to, and those chairs become available for uh, unbelievers. It's just over a month until that event on 25 August, Friday night. And uh, there were bookmarks here last week, Sunday. I know we still have somewhere, if you haven't got a bookmark, please ask for one. But when Jonathan Conrath comes, it's going to be a each one reach one tagline. Each one reach one. So that means each one of us reach one of them that don't yet know Jesus. That's what it means. So on the back of the bookmark is number one, two, three, where you can write a name. John, Stuart, and uh, whoever else you're trusting for. Why do I give those names now? Stuart and Stuart. <laughs> Spelt differently. Okay, guys, don't know Michael McIntyre's comedy, eh? So you can have the three Seans. Sean, Shaun, and Sien. You're spelled differently. One, two, three. Okay, just trust for your friends. That's the heart of the bookmark. Okay, not that funny, yeah. <laughs> Liam, I love you so much. Sarah with an H or without an H? Hope there are no Sarahs here. But they never quite understand the spelling with an H. Sarah. <sighs> so get those bookmarks and trustful people. I've written down one name because I wanted to be really honest with myself. I don't know about the other two. I want to be honest with that first name and pray for him and actually really try and get him to that event. I'm not going to go ahead until like I've solidified that. Um, so these people that live out in the world that don't yet know Jesus, some of them are white harvest people. That's what I wanted to talk about this morning. Some of them, are, I guess, what's the opposite? Green harvest. Green harvest is when you start pulling on the fruit and it's green and it's not ready to come off. You know, you're sharing about Jesus with someone and it's just... Stop turning that fruit because you can actually do more damage. I've done that often. I don't know about you guys, but in my exuberance and excitement, I can pull on that fruit, but it's too green. It's, it's actually pushing the person away. The time's not right. You need to wait. But white harvest is when you talk about Jesus, you share your testimony, and that person is just <gasps> like a sponge, taking in the life that we have in us. You've experienced that. It is the most beautiful thing. And I believe that there's a white harvest out there in the world now, like maybe never before in our lifetime. I don't know about previous generations, but certainly in our life, the world, guys, is, it is a broken mess. And just this week, you know, Chad and Karan are not here. Karan lost her father suddenly to a heart attack, came off the golf course a week or two ago. Yeah, that happened in the life of this congregation. Camilla's just come back. 
from mourning her uncle. Heart attack. Didn't look very old by your photographs, Kenneth. 56, young. It's around the corner for some of us. Um, this week in Seapoint, you would have seen the news. Three people drowned. We were on the promenade, me and the kids and Taryn watching the paragliders. That same afternoon, two, two of those guys crashed and went into the ocean, and that rugby coach was the one who died. We also had a young lady, I want to be sensitive to the content, but I haven't yet chatted to, to Dale, but Dale brought a friend into this place. Some of you met her. There was a response towards Jesus, one of his neighbors, uh, with Johnny. And um, there, was, there was life, and there was light, and there was really hope that there was a response there. Guess what? She drowned. She was the lady who drowned in Seapoint. Washed away. Not with us anymore. Young. Life is short. Dale got hold of me in the week, and he's feeling such a sense of urgency. And I think we should. I don't want to go past a week's activities or a week's worth of news headlines, even though they're close to home. By next week, we can forget the headlines. You can forget the news. Chad and Karan can come home. We can encourage. We can mourn. We can grieve. And then a few months down the line, life carries on. And I'm like, Lord, will you just stop us in the rat race and just show us the white harvest? Just stop us, Lord, whatever it takes to get our attention. Because when the Holy Spirit comes on us, we have something that the world is desperate for, even if they don't know it. Amen? We ask ourselves in these times, what takes our priority? You know? Where do we invest our most time and our money and our efforts and our thoughts? Where do we invest it? It's people. People are the greatest value in this world. That's what Jesus is holding out for. He's not holding out for the newest business or the latest trend. <laughs> He's not holding out for climate change or us to sort out the litter problem in the oceans. He's, not, he's worried about people. Only people are made in his image, you and I, and all those out there that are lost and without Jesus are going to go on and live an eternal torment in hell. They're not going to go to some rosy place. Those of us that know Jesus, we're going to go and be with the Father in heaven. We're going to be with him forever. But everyone outside of Jesus who does not have the Holy Spirit inside of them today, every person out there, every single one, will be tormented for life outside of the Father and eternity. That's where they're going. It was such a wake-up call for me. I also had some, some funerals that my sister had gone to. And I saw the uh, responses on Facebook. And I can't like it. I can't agree with it. Because it's, I know you're in a better place. I know you're up there celebrating with the angels. I know that, you know, you're out of pain now. Cancer. Died of cancer. Like, No. The pain suffering cancer in this world is far better than the pain of where you are now separate from God the Father in suffering and in torment and forever torment. It's not a better place to be put out of your misery struggling with cancer in this world because when you die, it's worse outside of Jesus. The world needs to hear this message because the world has got other ways of coming to terms with death. You know that, eh? But there's nothing like a funeral or a few deaths to remind you of how people outside of Jesus think. Shame the suffering here was terrible. I'm so glad 
You don't have to face that pain anymore. I'm like, what? We, we've got a message that we need to tell the world. And I feel like the Lord needs to get hold of my heart and our hearts. And so I wanted to touch on a man named Philip, one of those deacons. You can go with me to chapter, uh, still in Acts. It's now chapter 8. There's the bookmark that I was talking about. Looks like that. Three names on the back. People that we can trust for, to bring into our lives. So in, in, um, I'm going to read parts of it because we won't get through it all. But here's Philip, a deacon. Remember, who was sorting out the issue of the distribution of food in the early church between widows who were arguing. (laughs) And in chapter 8, it goes like this. After Stephen was stoned, another of the deacons was stoned and killed, and he shone the face of an angel. And while they stoned him, Stephen said, Lord, just like Jesus on the cross, forgive them for the sin that they don't know. He had a revelation of where he was going. He had a revelation. Stephen is at the end of chapter 7. The stoning of Stephen is the end of chapter 7. And then as chapter 8 starts, this is where I want to get into. On that day, after Stephen had died, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judah and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. So this is what the context was. And in that context, those who had been scattered, verse 4 of chapter 8, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip, this deacon, and saw the miraculous signs that he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was a great joy in that city. And then it goes on to the account, which I'm not going to read, of Simon the sorcerer, someone who was practicing magic in that time and in that place. And he saw the great power that was behind Philip, this deacon, who had now been scattered with the persecution, and he was beginning to preach the gospel with great power associated to what he was preaching, the practical that was following as he was teaching. (laughs) And Simon the sorcerer, the story goes, he wanted some of that power because he was doing dark magic himself. And he tried to buy the power. He ends up getting saved. And there's uh, many accounts where people feel he was genuinely saved and he might be with the Father today. Others don't know if he genuinely was saved. Um, I could tell you I lean one way or the other, but it's not important. The important thing is that where the true gospel went out in power, it's interesting that the false was there and there was a a competitive edge to this sorcerer, this magician who wanted some extra power and he tried to buy God's power and he was judged. And only because of the mercy of God was he given a chance in that account. It's a beautiful account. If you read it, you can make your own estimation as where you think Simon the sorcerer's heart was at the end. You know, did he come back to a place of genuine trust in God or not? Or was was he dead in in, in the judgment? Was he dead in that place of being judged? And I want to jump to chapter 20, uh, verse 26 of chapter 8, where Philip went down to to the Ethiopian eunuch. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, 
that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Now, he'd gone to worship all the way from Ethiopia, and this account, Philip met this man because he was obedient to listen to the Lord to go in a certain way after the scattering. So this was the account of Philip. He goes on to lead this Ethiopian to understanding Scripture. The Ethiopian was reading uh, out of Isaiah the prophet. And Philip heard him on his journey. <laughs> he didn't know where he was going. His obedience was, I'm just going to walk in the direction God told me to walk. And then he says, well, I can help you understand. Ethiopian eunuch, who understands a white harvest person. He was reading out of Isaiah. He'd come to worship. He was interested in God. He was seeking. And God's messenger walked past, a deacon in the early church who was now scattered. And what happened was he got up into the chariot, was invited in to, well, would you come and explain? How will I know what this means if you don't come inside and explain? So Philip jumped in, white harvest opportunity, and he gets in and he begins to explain that portion of um, text. And he begins to explain that this is a picture of Jesus, the sacrifice, the lamb, the salvation. And uh, the eunuch said, well, next thing, let's jump into the water and baptize me. So he gave his heart. So here you have Philip, who I want to talk about as a white harvest person. And the beauty of the miracle here is that Philip was firstly <laughs> pushed out of his comfort zone. So as we go into this next season, allow yourself to be pushed out of your comfort zone like Philip was. Yes, it was persecution that forced him out. For us, our coming out of our comfort zone is going to be other things. We're going to have um, tasks to play in a new venue. We're going to have... Uh, more people in our lives to love and to share the gospel with and to care for. Everything's going to take us out of our current comfort zone. But let's be like Philip in this. Because out of the comfort zone means next step you may see miracles like he did. So here's a man who at the end of the accounts of chapter 8 was transported to a place called Azotus. And this is interesting. There's no other place in Scripture where you where you see this type of miracle. I'm going to read from the end of chapter 8, verse 40 to be exact. 39 to be exact. When they came up out of the water, this is after Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. You ever thought about that? And the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way, rejoicing. Now he's... He's met the Lord. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus, it's another place, and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. And the account goes that he actually stayed in that place for another 20 years. It was 20 years later, uh, Paul came and stayed in his house, in Philip's house. So here he was in one place, meeting the Ethiopian eunuch, leading him to the Lord, baptizing And he was transported in the power of the Holy Spirit, miracle, to another place far away. It's in our Bibles. It's incredible. So, you know, there's nothing stopping God transporting one of us to another place because he's interested in people and his word getting out. He's done it once. What do we trust him for? Do we trust him for the white harvest? Do we trust him to use us to preach the gospel 
and to lead people to understand what they are seeking. Because the Ethiopian was seeking truth. Philip was obedient. He listened to the Lord. He went. He got out of his comfort zone. He was used in miraculous ways. I mentioned Simon the sorcerer. He was, when, when Philip preached the gospel, what happened in that place was that demons came out of people. There was power and there were signs, there were wonders as he shared about Jesus. He was already walking in miracles and in power. And interestingly, when his friend Stephen, one of the other deacons, was stoned, Saul was there later to become Paul. Saul was there overseeing the killing of Stephen and the persecution of the church. At that point, the church scattered. Philip goes, has this account with the Ethiopian eunuch, is teletransported by the power of God to this place called Azotus. He preaches in those towns and ends up in Caesarea. And 20 years later, that same Saul, who oversaw the killing of Stephen and the church, rocks up at his house and says, can I stay over? Can you imagine that? White harvest. Saul is now changed to Paul. Because remember, he's had that encounter in Damascus where God said, why, Saul, are you persecuting me? Not my church, me. And Saul's like, but I'm not persecuting you, but you are, because you're touching my people, my very body. God calls you and I him in that moment, his body. And he, and he changes his name, and under the power of God, he turns Saul's life around. He becomes Paul, and he joins into God's people, and he becomes a disciple. And only 20 years later, he rocks up at Philip's house. The evangelist now, Philip the evangelist now, because he's, he's touched people's lives, he's shared the gospel, he's impacted the eunuch who's brought the gospel to Africa after that account, which I'll explain, and he stayed with him, now part of the same family as Philip. Philip, a, a person who sees the harvest, the white harvest. Now remember, he had a menial role before. I want to say, like, when he was serving as a deacon, he could have been in that place going, I might do this forever and never be used in maybe more exciting ways. But he didn't. He had an expectation that God could use him in great ways. I want to ask, like when we are doing something in the life of daily living or in the life of the church, sometimes we can, Lord, where's the harvest? Where are the great things you're going to do through me? Think about Philip. Think about that in that place of being faithful, we can still trust him. We can look and ask and expect for white harvest people. Where the, where the eunuchs, where the Ethiopians, where those people that if I share the gospel with that person, those people, will they take it to another nation and change a nation through my obedience? Because that's what happened. Ethiopian eunuch is the one, by a large account, people who have studied, and I believe this is true as well, we're the first one to bring the gospel to our continent and back to Ethiopia being a, a country that actually has an incredible history in Christianity. If you go back to this account where it all started, there's so much to, to dive into there, actually. So God used Philip incredibly, didn't he? He was spirit-led. The angel of the Lord was the one who came to him and said, go into the desert. He followed. He was obedient, spirit-led. He went. He didn't argue. So many keys out of his life. And also, the fact that he was spirit-led, I think sometimes we know that 
there's people out there to reach, and we can sometimes in our own strength just go and do evangelism, or these are not bad things, or put programs in place because we need to win souls. And I look at this guy, and I go, there's no program. There's no, like, evangelistic school, or or we are going to get trained by Jonathan. But mostly Jonathan's a gift coming into us going, I'm going to ignite you if you let me. (laughs) in the power of the Holy Spirit, be ignited, church, and then run with it. It's like the Holy Spirit is the one, and God's the one that initiates evangelism, doesn't he? He says, go and be available and speak to people, and you've got the Spirit in you, so just go. All Philip was was obedient and Spirit-led, and evangelism happened, and suddenly he was now known as someone who shares the gospel as an evangelist. There's no training, no programs. When last did we ask? God, speak to me. When last did we hear his voice and just go and do it? And I think with the White Harvest people, it's like, we've got to be so aware that if he's speaking and he wants us to share something, love someone, explain a scripture to somebody, the more we listen and just do it, the more we train ourselves in obedience, and the more we train ourselves to be spirit-led in these moments, and we forget about what we don't know, what we do know, how it's going to come across. Because at the end of the day, how much training did Philip have? He'd just been raised up as a deacon to, to serve a need. And then persecution happened and he's now on his own and scattered and Holy Spirit's leading him. And as he's going about, miracles, signs and wonders happen. Someone's life is touched, more than one life is touched. And look at the, look at the great expectation that followed. Now I know... It sounds <laughs> like maybe Philip was called to a specific calling or specific gifting, and he could do it, but maybe not me. I would never be able to just go up to an important person from a foreign country and explain, no, well, it's not about what we're equipped in. It's about our obedience and our trust in the Holy Spirit. That's all that he had going for him. So that's you and I, guys. It's all of us. And you may ask, well, how do I preach the gospel? How do I share the good news? I want to give you a little key from what Paul, if you look at all Paul's writings, I'm going to crunch this into one. There's probably three things that stop us, if we have to put it in a nutshell. We lack vision. The reason we don't share the good news or the gospel and we don't seek the white harvest is that, number one, we, we lack vision. When we lack vision, we forget about uh, people out there that are passing away where there's tragedy because we, we're so stuck here in our vision that we lack vision out there. So here's a scripture for that. Paul tells the Corinthians church in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. So the vision that the Lord would want for us as people is to ask him for his eyes to see the unseen and the eternal. We need to ask him for vision because most of the time we're going to err and we're going to slip into just the temporary and the now and then we lack vision. We're not going to see white harvest people. They're going to come past us and we're, we're not even going to notice it because of our lack of vision. And it happens to us. You'll, you will know because I, I can witness to that. It happens to me. We drift. Number two, we've got a lot of fear and that's normal. We think, how can I? Now, I want to tell you that Paul didn't sound like a fear, 
fooled man, did he? He sounded like a fearless person that we take so much inspiration from. But you know that Paul prayed for fear because he had fear? He said in Ephesians 6, 19 and 20, Paul asked the church, please pray for me, he said, because that whenever I speak, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. That's what he asked for. Because for which I am an ambassador in chains, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So Paul wasn't afraid to ask for prayer because he knew that he needed to share the gospel, but he wanted to share it fearlessly and boldly. And he knew that in his own strength, he was going to struggle. So ask one another as Paul did. In humility, say, pray for me. This week, I'm going to share with that person. I want to invite this person into the life of the kingdom of God, but I, I need boldness. Pray for one another. It's a great prayer to be soaking over one another and into our lives, especially as we go and um, find a new space and bring out new chairs and open our homes and open up more homes. We're going to encounter more and more people that, that don't have the life of God in us. And this is the point of our life. This is the reason why you and I are still breathing. You know that, eh? There's no other reason that we still, that we have life and others don't as of last week. Why is it that they don't and we do? Because we have a message for the world. And we have a living God inside of us to witness, to witness. So fear, don't let fear stop us. Don't let lack of vision stop us. And certainly don't let ignorance stop us. You know, we, I don't know what to share. We're not ignorant of the gospel. And as a reminder, Paul also spoke to the Corinthians and 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 15, verses 1 and 4. He said this. He said, uh, I want to remind you of the gospel up that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, if you don't, you've believed in vain. So us, like the Corinthian church, we need to hold to that gospel. We need to stand firm in it. We need to be reminded of it. And we need to hold to the truth of the gospel right until the end. Because <laughs> we too could believe in vain. So we need to hear the gospel. As much as people out there that are lost. And then he says in verse 3 and 4, For what I have received, Paul, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So here's Paul's gospel in three bullet points. I'll give it to you. So that ignorance can't get in the way. Because we can all write down these bullet points. And we can share that with the first person we see that is white harvest this afternoon. It's as simple as this. Number one, Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. It was said he would and he did. He fulfilled what was written. Number two, he was buried. And number three, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is a creed that Paul put into the Corinthian church. That they would summarize the gospel in those three ways. I'll say it again. Number one, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. Number two, he was buried. And number three, he was raised on the third day also according to the scriptures. That's it. And if people can accept that, believe that, know it, we can pray that they would encounter the living God out of that place. Ignorance should never get in the way of us sharing. Amen? Come on. I've got an amazing uh, acrostic is the word. You know that word, acrostic? Hey? So, so 
gospel, okay? He has an acrostic for those that are making notes, which should be all of you because there's no AV. <gasps> Breathe. This is fun. There's an organization called Dare to Share. They are very frontline, mission-focused, and they write this acrostic down or keep it in their Bibles to remind them of what the gospel is. Um, first letter of the gospel is what? G. G is for God created us to be with him. So there's the G. Gospel G, God created us to be with him. Okay, O. O for our sins separated us from God. I'll share it with us. S is for sins. Sins cannot be removed by our own good deeds. Okay, very important. P, paying the price for our sin. Jesus died and rose again. E, everyone who trusts in him alone, alone in him, has eternal life. And I want to hover on that. You can say we trust in Jesus, but is he enough all on his own? No additions. The early church, a lot of these letters in our New Testament were about false gospel, false teachers going out where people said, you can have Jesus, but you need a little bit of this as well. You also need to add a bit of that. You also need to do a bit. There's nothing else but Jesus trusting in him and alone what he did to get us eternal life. It's beautiful. We just need to remember it. And the last one, L, is life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. When you receive the gospel, when you put your trust into Jesus, life doesn't start when we, life starts now and goes, eternity actually begins now. We have something of eternity already in our hearts. It comes into fulfillment and perfection. When this body gives way, then we go, we continue in it. So hopefully that will help us remember. I'll share it with us as I said. Yeah, we thank you, Lord. Come, let's stand together. I'm going to end right there. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I want to ask for two questions. Maybe we can just close our eyes together. Let's, let's focus on one and two. One and two, two questions this morning. And the first one would be this. As, as I've shared reminders of the gospel and key points of the, of the good news that we have in the Lord, like that Ethiopian eunuch, he was seeking white harvest person. He needed something explained to him. When it was, his heart was already ready to receive. He said, well, let's get, baptize me now. I'm ready. I'm open. Maybe you like that. Maybe you like that Ethiopian today where you've been seeking. Your heart is already open. Maybe you've heard before today. Maybe you've heard this morning as a reminder. The question to you is, are you restored relationally to your maker, your creator, your father in heaven? Because you will know. You can know about him. That's not enough to give you life eternal. Listen. Knowing about God the Father, knowing about Jesus Christ, knowing the Word of God means nothing unless you are trusting in Him as your Lord and Savior every single day. That means you actually know Him. You've given yourself to Him. It's the difference between knowing about Him and knowing Him. Knowing Him is trust fully. You've given Him your, your entire life. So my first question is, are you restored relationally to the Father, the maker of heaven and the maker of us. 
person who's been restored relationally has put their trust in Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection and knows that they've been forgiven all their sins because of Jesus. So with our eyes closed, if there's one person here or more that does not know for certain that you're restored relationally with the Father, as our eyes are closed, I want you to give me a wave because today is the day to make certain, to make it a sure thing that you not only know about Him, but you, you know Him, that you have the salvation that secures you now and into eternity. Okay. And if there's any hint of, <laughs> is there any hint, if there's any day or week or month that's gone by in your most recent life when you've gone, I don't know if I trust Jesus every day. I don't know if I'm fully trusting Him entirely with my life. Please come to me. I would love to pray for you after this time. You can give me a wave. If you don't want to give me a wave, there is, there is a wave. And I, I'd love to pray with you. Please, afterwards, when it's all finished, I'd love to have some time just to pray with you. And thank you. I did see your, your hand. We're going to make certain. So I believe that we have a God who's so certain, man. You know, when he sent Philip on that, on that journey to that specific person for that, he knows what he's doing. It's not flimsy, maybe, if I... He's like, go, follow, and I'll show you what to do and what to say, and his power comes. Because he's the God of the universe, man. And if he wants, he'll just transport you to another part of the world in a moment. Like, hello. He's a God of miracles and wonders and power. And as the modern church, he wants more of that in us. And uh, the way to do that is we expect and trust and push in for the more. There's more for us, guys. Here we haven't even scraped the surface yet. Amen? And the second group, second question. Let's ask for a white harvest people. When last did we pray and ask, Lord, give us the white harvest. Give us the ones where the fruit's like almost off the tree. Give us like the Ethiopian eunuch who will come and say, please explain to me, sir. Please tell me what, what is this hope that you have? Why do you smile so much? Why do you, why do you seem to have this love in a world that is so chaotic? Will you explain to me? Oh, absolutely. Why don't, it's just white harvest people and I want to encourage us that if that's you if you have a desire to ask God for more white harvest people to come your way and if you have a desire for him to fill you with boldness and courage to first of all seek those people second of all be bold enough to share with those people won't you just respond with me by saying that's me I, I want to trust God for more white harvest people because remember we were white harvest people once upon a time so when you trust with me I'm including myself in this prayer that Lord firstly I want I want to expect more white harvest people to come my way but secondly I want to I want to ask for a download of boldness and courage to help me to open my mouth and to declare like Paul said that you would help me to not be fearful in those moments Lord so Lord everyone that is responding I want to pray for us that each and every man and woman even the children, if they're responding in their hearts, Lord, uh, that you, Lord Jesus, would fill us with the boldness of heaven, with the courage that comes from your throne room to share, Lord, even where we feel that we're not equipped, but to remember that in your word, you've equipped us with everything anyway. And we only need to look to you and trust in you. 
So fill us with boldness even now, Lord. Fill us with a courage and a boldness and an excitement and an exuberance, but also a sense of urgency, Lord. Knowing that in one week so much can happen, even in our own family, even in our own suburbs, so much can change. So many lives can be taken from us in a moment. Give us a sense of urgency, I pray. Holy Spirit, a sense of urgency like when the church scattered, you took Philip in a in a moment of urgency and you sent him. Help us to be obedient like him, Lord. Help us to be obedient in the moment to respond and to listen to your voice. Open our ears, clear the distractions. Help us to hear the voices that are asking us the questions that matter. Those white harvest people and those white harvest questions, Lord. And prepare our hearts, Lord. Enlarge our hearts to receive those that you want to add into us and into our homes and into our lives. And I ask this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.